Okay. Well, good morning anyway. <laughs> How is everybody? Okay. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone, <laughs> officially. Um, today is September 19th, and um, I would like to uh, do some announcements. <laughs> This is not my normal gig. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so um, today is the deadline to order mums for Mum Sunday. Um, see the attached flyer in your bulletin. Um, the Sunday school class for grades 6 through 12 is meeting in the youth room upstairs. And please bring your Bible and a notepad. We will be studying God's will and his plan for us as his children living in today's world. There's a ladies' Bible study, and the women's Bible study will be starting soon, and all the ladies of the church and their friends are welcome. We will be meeting at Bev Sheets' home on Tuesday or Wednesday mornings from 10 to 11.30. The day and date will be announced soon, so if you have any questions or preference in the day to meet, please talk to Bev Sheets. This is a wonderful opportunity to get to know other women of the church as well as learn and share with each other. Kids' Closet starts back up in October from 10 to 12 on the first Saturday of the month. These are the dates that were given out to people who came to the Back to School Blast, October 2nd, November 6th, November, or excuse me, December 4th, January 8th, February 8th, March 5th, April 2nd, May 7th. These are all in the bulletin in the announcement section. Pardon me? Can't hear? Sorry, good, thank you for that feedback. Can you hear better now? Okay, well, I'm too short for the microphone, probably. Um, so uh, the kids' closet dates are in the bulletin, um, in the announcement section. We are not going to have a love feast this um, October because of COVID, but instead we'll be celebrating with a bread and cup communion on Sunday, October 3rd, during our worship service. There's a sister's fall retreat, which will be October 23rd at 10 to 3 at Inspiration Hills. Um, and then join the choir. <laughs> the choir has started meeting for choir practice on Thursdays at 7, and we need your voice. We're donating pies for the fall festival, and hopefully we have some good pie bakers out there. I think I know who you are. So um, if you would like to donate a couple of pies for the Camp Fall Festival on Saturday, October 2nd, that would be wonderful. There are other, other announcements in the um, announcement flyer in your bulletin, so make sure you look at that. Are there any other announcements? Mike shares that there's a cornhole, did you say tournament? It's at um, 2 on October 3rd, 
and it's going to be $15 a team if you're interested. So, oh, sorry, five. I was trying to get my pen to write, and so that was part of the dollar sign symbol, I guess. Sorry, it was really not working. <laughs> um, so that's October 3rd. See Mike for more details. Are there other announcements? Can I have to? If you'd like to um, stand for the call to worship, if you're able. Oh, sorry, we're going to do prayer. Excuse me. do have uh, one more announcement. Uh, we are going to be beginning a new uh, Bible study series where we'll be reading and discussing uh, the book, The Highest of All Mountains by Brother Samuel Sarpia, or Sarpia. He was the moderator a few years ago. Uh, please contact me and I'll be sending out updates in the emails as well if you wish to join as uh, we can get a price break if we have enough people joining uh, to order books from, the, from Brethren Press. Now for our scripture reading today, it's Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. To follow along with your uh, pew Bibles, um, that's again Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now I know this isn't a surprise to most of you, but there's usually a pretty good sized age gap between an educator and the student. I mean, I remember when it was strange when I was 18 and graduating high school and realized that my one teacher was actually only like six years older than me. But for the most part, it's a bigger gap. Well, that was the way it was for Samuel and Catherine. There was a 20-year gap, 21 to be exact, except it was the opposite of usual. Samuel was 31, Catherine was 10, but she was the teacher, teaching him how to read. Now, don't think it that strange that Samuel had not had an education. After all, he was born in a time and place and station in which an education was not expected of him. Actually, when he turned 19, the state of Virginia, where he was born, had made it illegal to teach any person who was enslaved how to read, write, or do arithmetic. Though, to be honest, it was pretty much already the standard. They were just cementing it now into code. But now... At the age of 31, he was living in Ohio under the house, in the house of old mother Bryant and William Bryant. I actually have been looking for her name and I couldn't find it anywhere. Every source referred to her as old mother Bryant. But he told old mother Bryant one evening around the fire, I wish I could read. 
And she's like, okay, let me get my granddaughter. And that's how Catherine Long began to teach him to read. It was just one more step away from the life that Samuel Wire was probably going to live. And I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Wire. As the German, it's always the second vowel that gets the hard sound. But it might be Weir. I'm not 100%. You know, he's been dead over 150 years, so can't ask him exactly. Now, Samuel's life had started pretty typical for someone in his situation. He was born into slavery in the Piedmont region of Virginia. That's the, the lowlands between the mountain and the sea that stretches from Maryland all the way through Georgia. He was born there the son of Lucy Bird and Samuel Wire, or Jason, ay, ay, ay. Ay, 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 this name just escaped me out of nowhere, James Wire. As was tradition in those days, whenever you were born enslaved, you took on the name of the master. But unusually, Samuel never did that. He always referred to him as his father's surname, as Wire. His father was actually owned by someone else. And as was in those days, uh, slave marriage was only as good as long as it was convenient. And it wasn't convenient for very long. When James, or when Samuel was about two years old, his mother's owner, Thomas, I'm getting all my names backwards now, <laughs> William Bird decided he was going to move to the Shenandoah Valley. And so he lost contact with his father. He lived there in the Shenandoah Valley for about 10 years before William decided to sell Samuel to Andrew McClure. Imagine that. At the age of 12, being removed from everyone you have ever known, from being removed from your mother, from your siblings, from your aunts and uncles, those related by blood, and those who have just helped raise you. But at the age of 12, he was taken away. We don't know a lot about what happened in the years between 12 and 30. We just don't. But we can tell a little bit. I always try to not make light of people who are slave masters. Because I think we often do that in culture where we make it look like they were generally good people. When, let's face it, owning any person is a sin. But as far as owners go, Andrew McClure seems to have been a gentler one. As he treated Samuel far more like a hired hand than a person who he owned. And it probably would have stayed like that. He was given more freedom than most other enslaved people. But he was still enslaved and he probably would have just continued working for the McClures until he died. But at the age of 30, something changed, a tragedy. The McClure's young son was thrown off of a horse, and he died. In their struggle to understand what had happened, in their struggle and reevaluation of their life, 
the McClures found themselves drawn to the local Dunkard church, the early brethren. They found themselves drawn to the theology, to the way of life, and they were welcomed into it with mostly open arms. There was a problem. The Dunkards did not allow members to own other people. And so they told him. Elder Need called Andrew McClure to his home one day and told him, we want to welcome you into our church, but we cannot do so as long as you are holding Samuel in servitude. Well, word got around that the McClures were thinking of entering into the Dunkard church, and slave traders came knocking on the door too, and they offered money for Samuel. Equivalent today would be an upper mid-range SUV, or honestly more money than I made at Friendly's working overtime as a manager in a year. So it's a fair amount of money. But that didn't sit right with the McClures. After all, their new faith taught them that they needed to live ethically on every level. Not just by saying, oh, look, we're no longer slaveholders, therefore we're okay. But they had to come to that in a way that matched what Jesus taught. And so they gave up on that money and instead freed him. In February of that year, the McClures entered the waters and became a brother and sister in the local Dunkard church. Samuel, too, was drawn to this church, to their teachings, to the way they lived. And within just a couple of months, he went from calling, calling Andrew McClure master to calling him my employer to now calling him brother as Samuel, too, entered the water and joined the church. Now, I would love to just stop here and tell you that was great, and move on. Because after all, when it came to those days and slavery and racism, the brethren were on the right side of history, generally. After all, the brethren were among the first Americans to say, we will not allow our members to own other people. They were among the first, along with the Quakers and the Mennonites, to start the abolitionist movement. It was thanks to their work that the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania was the first state to become a free state. And when slaves were escaping from the south to live in the north or to move on to Canada, many brother, sis, brother and sisters and brothers put their lives and livelihoods on the line by becoming conductors on the Underground Railroad. All of those things are true. But to not tell the whole truth, to only paint things in rosy colors, denies what also happened. Because our early brothers and sisters were not perfect, just as we are not perfect. And we must recognize their failings so we may recognize our own. While they had resisted strongly the idea that a human can own another human, racism had still creeped 
into the brethren way of thinking. And while they may have welcomed Samuel into their congregation as a brother, they denied him certain rights because of his color. The first and main one was the holy kiss. Now, if you are newer to the brethren or younger in the brethren, you may not have come across the holy kiss before. I remember when I first came across it, it was my first time feet washing. And I know I haven't had a chance to feet wash with y'all, so I don't know if you guys practice the holy kiss or not. But my brother and mentor, Jim Ake, was on my right, and he got up, came over, had his towel on, and he washed my feet. And then we stood up and shook hands and gave me a bear hug, because Jim was a bear of a man. He couldn't give anything other than a bear hug. And then he gave me a kiss on the cheek. And I thought, that's kind of weird. I told my dad, and he's like, oh yeah, I probably should have warned you about that. And then he went on to tell me that five times in the letters, four times by Paul in Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and Timothy, I think, and then one time in 1st Peter, it is commanded of the followers that they kiss one another in greeting. That's why we brethren do a lot of things. Why do we wash feet? Because we are told to. Why do we do communion and remembrance? Because we're told to. Why do we do anointing? Because we're told to. Why do we do a holy kiss? Because we're told to. It's not something we do as commonly today because kissing over the years has become more romantic in nature in how we think about it. But I was telling this to another pastor and he told me, oh, I remember my first time. And the gentleman gave me the holy kiss in the traditional manner, which is not on the cheek. I don't consider myself an extreme prude, but even that's a little much for me. <laughs> but to those early brethren who practiced this regularly, not just at love feast, but at baptisms and in regular greetings, they couldn't find it right that a white man should kiss a black man. So they held Samuel at an arm's length. He was their brother, but he was not fully in. He was a brethren, he was a dunkard, but he had to go somewhere else to worship. Well, only for so long. There was another law on the books in Virginia where once you were freed, you had to leave the area within one year. You had to leave the state. You know, originally it was designed so they didn't have a whole lot of black free men running around the state. They didn't want that. And if you stayed after, you could be pressed back into slavery. And so Brother Meade, Meade of the, the local Dunkard congregation, the one who un, had welcomed him in, said, you know, I have relatives in Twin Valley area of Ohio. Let's get you there. And so Brother Moomaw and Brother Wire made the long trek through the Shenandoah Valley into Kentucky on up over the Ohio. 
Brother Mumal later wrote when they crossed out of Kentucky over the river into Ohio. I, I'm sorry, wrong line. He did not, while on the way, seem to be affected in the least. But now it appears to me that his whole body was actually being affected. And now he felt as he had never felt before. We talk a lot about how sin is like slavery, that it owns us, that it coats our every movement, how we act in this world. And meeting Christ, believing in Christ, following Christ is like freedom from that. For Samuel, though, he really fully understood what it was like to be free from being a slave to step over that river, or it's a big river, to go across that big river, to step on the land on the other side and know what it was like to be truly free. They traveled on. They came to the home of Thomas and Sarah Major, who I talked about three weeks ago now. Thomas wasn't in. But it was, began a friendship between Sarah and Samuel that would last the rest of their lives together. Then they traveled on to what's now Frankfurt, Ohio, which is just south of Columbus. There at the Painted Creek congregation, Samuel was presented and said, This is our brother Samuel. He has come from the south looking to start a new life. We need some help. And William Bryant said, come to my house, brother. And it was there that he met old mother Bryant, Catherine Long, where he began to read, where he began, well, to write. He never liked writing, apparently. He eventually got his feet underneath him, and he had his own home. He went to school where they continued to teach him how to read. And his schoolmaster there was a local preacher, was a preacher for the local Black Baptist Church. Because Samuel, just as it was in the deep south of Virginia, and eh, Virginia's not the deep south, but in the south of Virginia, had the same problem in Ohio. His brothers and sisters may have welcomed him with open arms, but they continued to hold him at those arms' length. And so he went to the local Baptist. There he continued to study. And soon he found himself being asked to preach. And after he had done that for about four or five years or so, he was invited to come and preach before the brethren. And he spoke, if I remember it correctly, a two-hour-long sermon, which I will not give you all today. Not that anyone recorded what he said. All on the passage. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Every single member there voted that he should become a minister. And so he was raised with the rule that he, again, was not allowed to serve the white church, but he could serve the local black churches. So he did. 
And before you knew it, there was a new Church of the Brethren congregation in Painted Creek. There was a white church now and a black church. And two of the members, the first two that joined them, it was a Harvey and Martha Carter. Together with Samuel, went and visited Samuel's good friend, Sister Sarah. And there, Sarah and Thomas Major, along with the, the Carters and, John and Samuel Wire, celebrated the first interracial love feast. And by 1881, they decided as a congregation to lift him up from the position of minister to the position of elder, which we don't really have today, but it's like kind of like the bishop of the old days. That's the best way I can put it. He lived for a few more years. His health soon started declining after he was raised. And by 1884, he passed away. People from all over southern Ohio came to celebrate him. Preachers came to sermon about his life. It was a celebration of life filled by both white and black people. Samuel Wire is not one of those names, though, we know well today in the Brethren. I realized last week when I talked about Sarah Major, apparently not a lot of folks knew about her. Because, you know, we all have the different stories we grew up with. But Samuel is less known than most. He had no children. And the congregation that he founded didn't last terribly much longer after his death. But there are many things we can take from it for our lives. I liked the scripture he preached on. Because Samuel was born into a life where there wasn't a lot to be hopeful for. You know, when he left from, for Ohio, he never heard again from his mother or his brothers or his sisters. They lived a more normal life as it was for those who were enslaved in Virginia in those days. They were property, just as Samuel could have lived his whole life. Samuel had faith, had confidence that God would walk with him. And he walked the path purposely with God and found himself where he did. It's a message to us. Because for the most part, we celebrate people who are cage rattlers or even cage breakers. People like Alexander Mack or Samuel or um, Christoph Sauer. You know, those who go and rattle the cage and break them and make people upset. Or we celebrate people like Sarah Major, who also was a cage rattler, unwilling to listen to those who said, you cannot preach. Or we celebrate people like John Klein, who walks back and forth across battlefields, ignoring all the doors that are supposed to say, do not enter. Because face it, as much as we celebrate the cage rattlers, those who break the doors, most of us tend to live quiet lives, just trying to go day to day to day. 
we have heroes like Samuel Wire to show us what that looks like. Samuel didn't rattle the cage, at least not on purpose. If the cage rattled, it was because Samuel was fully faithful in a God that would walk with him no matter where he went. And he just lived his life talking about his faith and talking about the God who loved him and all around him. He didn't want to push people on purpose, but rather because he was who he was, he pushed people that way. That's something that those of us who tend to live quieter, less cage-rattling lives can look up to. But Samuel also reminds us of something else. That we are not perfect. Not that Samuel was perfect. I'm sure he had his own faults. Not that anyone recorded any of them. He got upset once because someone punched his Bible to bits, he said. It was a pastor he liked to pound on his Bible, and apparently he damaged it. <laughs> but rather, we can look at those who we have often celebrated and see that they were not perfect themselves. That those early believers had their own faults. And so we can reflect on ourselves and see how we might have those faults today, or new ones. Who are those brothers and sisters that we welcome into the church, but we hold at arm's length? Who are those brothers and sisters that when we say there is no male, no female, no Jew, no Greek, only children of God? Who are those that we say there is no male or female or Greek or Jew or what? But we still hold at arm's length because they are. Greek or Gentile or so let's listen to Samuel's way let us walk humbly in full knowledge that God walks with us let's walk in full knowledge of the faith for those of you who are cage rattlers or those of you who find a moment to rattle the cage rattle the cage and if you're not in this position to do that, walk like Samuel, faithfully, honestly, forward. You know, each week I, I, I go with a scripture or a, um, a quote from each person. Samuel's was When I found that I could read the Bible, I felt satisfied, and I gave up all other books, but that. The Bible has been my delight, and I have read it through several times. So let's live a life like that, where we are satisfied that God is walking with us and teaching us. Let us read our Bibles with joy and pray in humbleness. Thank you. May you go out. May you go out walking humbly and with purpose, knowing that God walks with you. May you go out recognizing where this world fails, 
at accepting that everyone is a son and daughter of Christ, a beloved child of God. May you go out today walking as Samuel did, in full faith and in full love. Amen. Amen.